0: Welcome to the New Freedom Church podcast. This podcast will help you grow deeper in your faith through weekly 30-minute talks. If you haven't already done so, go ahead and hit that subscribe button so you get each new episode as it's released. Now sit back and relax as God speaks to you through this message. Memorial Day weekend is one of my favorites of the year for multiple reasons. I love the fact that It's the unofficial start of better weather here in Southern Ohio. I love the fact that uh, we get uh, a three-day weekend to celebrate and uh, commemorate with our family. But most of all, I love the fact that for three days, we get to turn our attention to remember that freedom is never free, but it must be demanded by the oppressed and it must be contended for by those who volunteer to secure the rights of that freedom for others. And in this country, we have a long history of those who have served and have done that. Now, Veterans Day is in the fall in November, and we would have all the veterans stand and and that kind of thing. But today, and for this service for Memorial Day weekend, what we do is we remember and we commemorate the sacrifice of those who paid it all those who are no longer with us. And on Memorial Day each year, our nation turns their attention to those who died in active military service defending our freedoms. Formerly, it was called Decoration Day, and it's also served as a day for us to remember those who have passed on that are special in our lives, those in our family and our friends, whether they served or not, that are no longer with us. It's a day to remember. It's a time to look back. Uh, There is a a kind of, a, I think, a, a way in which we can remember things or uh, even question things that are, is a healthy way and then there's some unhealthy ways. To question something from a standpoint to criticize it is very unhealthy. It's, it's cynical. It's kind of the spirit of our age is to to never believe what's really at face value or what's in front of us is that, that we simply banter around these questions in, in a way that uh, nothing is really ever as it seems, and so we're not sure and we're cynical about it. But there is another way to question things, and that is to look back, to remember and to commemorate and think about what it is that you're... You're celebrating, or the why behind the what. Why did this thing happen? In the scripture I want to share with you today, there is a poignant question that is that is going to be anticipated. It's never asked specifically in the text, but it is anticipated to be asked. And this question is anticipated by the leaders of Israel to be one that will come in the future. It is for a future generation, and it is That when your children ask you, What do these stones mean to you? then you will have a reply. You will have an answer. And so, what I want us to look at today is a question and also a journey of faith that God's people had taken many years ago and truly are still taking even to this day. And it is truly a memorial. Now, by definition, a memorial is serving to preserve remembrance. If we just defined it, Webster's Dictionary says that a memorial is serving to preserve a remembrance. And in the ancient world, setting up memorials was very important. It was a marker. It was a a destination point. It was something that they could easily go back to and observe. It marked a milestone, a special moment, maybe a great achievement. And in this way, we moderns are really not all that different. We're not that different from our ancient Uh, ancestors and our our relatives that have gone before us. Our memorials today may be a little more detailed. They may have uh, different building materials, but I can't say that they're any better constructed. For some of the great memorials of the uh, history of the world are still in existence today. They're still standing, pyramids and... and, uh, building of stone and things that we put together to memorialize and to remember. But today I want to draw your attention to a memorial that God commissioned himself. Through the mouths of his leaders, he commissioned a memorial to people to set up, and this was to be an achievement for what they were doing in in their modern moment, but also for a future generation. Joshua chapter 4. The text says this, verses 1 through 3. When all the nation had finished passing over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, take 12 men from the people, from each tribe a man, and command them, saying, take 12 stones from here out of the midst of the Jordan, from the very place where the priests' feet stood firmly, and bring them over with you, and lay them down in the place where you lodge Tonight, This is the instruction. God said, I want you to take a man from every tribe and I want you to go back into the Jordan, which the Jordan River had been dried up because the ark of God was carried by the priests. And, and so they were taking this ark and they stopped in the midst of this river and the river dried up. This is a a recounting and and kind of a a redo of, of what the Red Sea happened when they came out of Egypt. And he said, I want you to take a stone from the place where the priest's feet stand. This is now dry land. I want you to take a stone and carry it with you over to the place where you're going to lodge tonight. So this is a real time instruction. This isn't something that's going to take five years to accomplish. This isn't a memorial that's going to be built over decades. This is something that tonight, God said, when you get to Gilgal, when you get to the place where you're going to lodge, these stones need to be erected this very day. And this is the reason why, verses 6 through 7, that this may be a sign among you. So it has a contemporary fulfillment for them right in that moment. This is a sign to you. Among you, the people who are taking these stones and all the nation that are coming out, this is a sign, a symbol for you. Somebody say for you. See, there are some things that are for us and there are some things that we do for other people. He says now this, when your children ask in time to come, what do these stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial. How long? Forever. These stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. There are some things that you probably have done in your life and in your family that you commemorate or you memorialize or you do maybe out of tradition or, or just out of common practice that means something to you, but not to your neighbor, it may not mean anything. But this was for an entire nation. God said, when you set up these stones, you do so as a sign for yourselves, but also recall and remember and just have some foresight to know that when the day comes that your children ask you, what do these stones mean to you? that you will recount to them the great deliverances of God. God didn't tell Joshua, if your children ask. (laughs) He said, when your children ask you. This was evident that this was going to happen. I mean, after all, you can go out into a dry and arid desert, you can go on a hike, and you can see how the landscape looks pretty much like it had been there for a long time. Like the landscape just looks like creation. It just looks like that's the way it's supposed to be. We were, we were out west a couple years ago as a family, and we went out into a desert. We went to Arches National uh, Park, and, and we were on a tour, and the tour guide said, look around good at the area and the landscape because it will never look like this again. And I thought, what? And then they began to explain how the topography and the geography is always changing by the winds and the storms and the rains and the erosion. And things are always changing. Ever so subtly, they're always changing. Now, what they were meaning is if you come back next year, pretty much the markers are going to be the same. But if you come back 100 years from now, things will have changed. Things will look differently. But looking over that vast desert, I could see that it it was undisturbed. It was there I would say by the handiwork of God, the creator. But then we came up on a smaller little area on a ridge and there were these little stones that were there stacked and little stones there that were stacked and little stones there. And there was a little placard and it said that this was a memorial from an Indian reservation where they memorialize those who have gone before them. And there was something sacred, there was something special about that. Even though that memorial didn't mean anything directly to me, I recognized that that was special to someone. And someone put that there. That didn't just arrive there, that didn't just, uh, through uh, uh, actions of, of the wind, blow it there. Someone put those there. It meant something. It was a memorial to them. So it was obvious that when they took these stones out of the River Jordan and they placed them in in the area they were going to lodge that night, that there would come a time when the children would say, wait a minute, something seems out of place. Something didn't just arrive here. Someone put that there. Someone set that up. And what does this mean to you? And so the instruction that was given when the children ask is that you need to recount... The deliverance that God had given his people out of Egypt, but also let them know that this was actually the second parting of water for God's people to walk on dry ground. The first parting was the Red Sea. This is the second parting. And the the Jordan River dried up and they walked over on dry land. This is proof positive to show them that what God has done in the past, he is able to do in the future. So if you read it in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, or the book of Acts, it is possible that that can happen. For you today. This is proof positive that God is unchanging in a sense, and He is always He is always doing something new. He is the same God yesterday, today, and forever. And if you get a word on it, then you can stake a claim on it, and you can say, As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, and I will say to God in a memorial, be it unto me according to your word. Let them know that God delivered his people before, and now he recounted and did this again. What he has done before, he can do it again. And this was personal. This was something that meant a great deal to this generation and to the people of God, the nation of Israel. And they are going to ask this question. It's anticipated that they're not just going to say, what do these stones mean? Because that's pretty generic. What do these stones mean set up on a pile is like me coming up on uh, this little stack of stones. Like, what do these stones mean? But when I ask, what do these stones mean to you, that indicates that there is something personal. There is a connection point by which that has a symbol, that has a significance, that has a bearing on my life. Now, each generation will have a little different sense of what something means. For example, each year... Eighth graders across our nation make trips to Washington, DC, and they visit memorials. They can read on the plaque why that memorial was erected. But if that wasn't something of their generation, it will mean a little different to them or a little less than maybe it meant to their parents or their grandparents or even their great-grandparents. I recall going to Washington, DC with our children. They were probably in the sixth grade. We took a family trip there, and, and we were walking through the, the different uh, monument sites and the different things. And, and you know, being a, a person who loves history, uh, I, I would have loved to have read every inscription. In fact, they had to pull me along because I would get in a museum and I would be reading everything. And then finally, one of the tour guides came up. They said, sir, if you took time to read every inscription in this U.S. Capitol, it would take you over 13 years to read everything. I looked at Holly. and said, got a little time now. <laughs> I would love to do that. But I can't. And not, not everything captured my attention the same way as certain things that were in more recent history, more recent in the, in the eras that I can recall, or maybe watching television, things happening and developing on the television screen. I remember a, a really early memory as a child being interrupted, the first time that I remember my, my cartoons being interrupted. I, I hated that. Why are you interrupting my cartoons? And the President of the United States got on there and as Ronald Reagan sat behind that sacred desk in the oval office and gave an announcement to the nation i don't recall exactly what that speech was about but i remember the awe and the presence and the the aura of that moment it was significant it was symbolic and so the, those things that happened in the, the 70s and the 80s, those things were the ones that I wanted to look at and, and memorialize and see, oh, that was very near or within my generation and within my lifetime. These things have happened within my very existence or within my parents' lifetime. So what was happening in those years were shaping the kind of life that I was going to live. And so what happens is when we look at these memorials, they may not on the surface look much to us. You know, the, the Korean War, it may not seem like, oh, well, that was so long ago. You know, we have Korean War vet right here in the, in the room today. <laughs> we, we have veterans in the room today. People who, that was very significant in them. It was life-changing. It was life-shaping. It was something that they will never forget. It actually blazed the trail of their destiny for life. And so each memorial will mean something a little bit different to each person, depending on how that you pace with that, how closely impactful that that event was to you. Now, for these stones that God told his people to gather and to set up. These were to be a sign and a marker to a future generation, and it was going to be significant. And it was going to be meaningful to them. And I want to share some things with you that were meaningful about these stones. I want to share some special meanings of these stones. The first three things I want to share are kind of all together. And, and the first one is this. These stones represented a possession of a homeland. They they represented a, a time in which they were going to finally achieve something of their own right. They were going to have a homeland. They had not had a homeland. For more than 400 years, probably closer to 500 years, the the people of God, Israel had not had a homeland. They were promised a land, and they waited for 40 years to go into that land, and so they found themselves in a slave mindset. This was to be a a homeland for them, a, a place of possession. Now, notice that only two of the people who crossed over Jordan, Joshua and Caleb, only two of them were ever slaves. All the rest of the ones that came out of Egypt, the Bible tells us they died in that wilderness because of doubt and unbelief. But Joshua and Caleb, the only two that made it into the promised land, now we could could argue that Moses made it there because he saw the promised land, but he wasn't permitted to pass over either. But the entire nation died out. So every person except the two had never actually been a slave. But they had heard and they had lived with parents and grandparents and family members of slaves all of their lives. And so for 40 years in the wilderness, they had camped out amongst people who were always talking about what it was like being a slave. And they, as a people, had gained a slave mentality. Having never served under a taskmaster themselves, they they had gained a slave mindset that caused them to think like a people who were oppressed, and therefore to have some idiosyncrasies and some actions and some some ways about them that were kind of of that mindset. But this now, this new land, presented an opportunity because this was a possession of a homeland for themselves. The, The other point of this is that this was going to end the wilderness wandering. These people had camped out for 40 years at the base of Mount Sinai. They had been in temporary housing structures, As they got out of Egypt, it was only a three-day journey into the promised land, and so they sent out spies to the land. You remember the story? You can read it in numbers. They sent out spies into the land, and they came back, and they said, that land's full of giants. Grapes are as big as a man's head. I mean, it is a land that flows with milk and honey. It is a great land, but we can't take it because we are like grasshoppers in their sight. Joshua and Caleb, on the other hand, said, let's go. We can do this. We can take that land. We're well able. But the entire rest of the leadership said, no, we better not. We better stay right here. So for 40 years, they had camped out in temporary structures. They had been fed by manna from heaven. They had enough provision. But it wasn't God's best and highest and utmost for their life. And this now was an end marker of a wilderness wandering. This was the end of just camping out. They were always waiting with anticipation of breaking up camp and going to the promised land. Now they actually were able to enter in. In many ways, you and I can relate. They were living in a time of delay, and it seems like we are living with anticipation of something yet to come. But yet, you and I are almost, in a sense, like, Uh, exiles living in a Babylon system. We are living in in this current world age. And the God of this age is so blind to the minds of those who cannot see through the veil that they operate in such a way that are anti-Christ and anti-God. And we are waiting and, uh, uh, and, and with anticipation, the arrival, we are awaiting the arrival of Jesus to return and set things right as they should be and set up his kingdom fully, which he initiated and inaugurated at the cross and resurrection. And we're waiting for the final consummation when he sets everything to rights and we have this global Eden. But until then, we're in between. We're we're in this already not yet kind of attention where we're waiting and we're longing and we're praying and we recognize that this world system is not our our home, that we are out of step, that we're out of tune. There's something that is never quite going to click with us being in and of this world. We are in this world, but we're not of this world because we walk by faith and not by sight. Because we have a blessed hope, something that is yet better and more glorious than any kind of human government, any kind of governmental utopian that people can dream up. As great as the Constitution of the United States is, it is not a flawless and perfect document. Somebody say amen. That's why they're still wrangling and, and, and wondering about it today. We had, we had a family graciously host a constitution class here a while back at the church, and it went so well that they wanted to do it again, and so we, we hosted it again, and they bring them in. They learn all about the constitution, and I said, you know, there, there is one, one uh, thing that I would like to request. If you're going to lead a constitution class, it's wonderful, but can you invite about 535 other people because there are some people in Washington, D.C. that need to know a little bit about the constitution, which they sorely don't know much about. Now, that's not Republican or Democrat or independent. That's a broad brush. I'm going to say all of them need to know more about it. As great as that document is, and as wonderful of a land that we live in, we need to recognize that this world system is not our system that we have a political agenda that is over top of us. And our banner of God's love is that Jesus is king, and Caesar is not, and Washington is not, and the digital Babylon and the the world currencies and system is not. (laughs) Jesus is king. Raising the debt ceiling, not raising the debt ceiling digital currencies and bitcoins and all these kind of things and the crash of the economy. Listen, none of that would be pleasant. Trust me, it would be difficult. We would go through trials and we would go through hardship, but we have to understand that as children of the Most High God, that is not where we place our trust anyway. Our provision is through King Jesus and him only. Amen. And so as we remember, and as we memorialize, let us also look forward to the blessed hope that there is coming a day soon and very soon we're going to see the king. They were no longer wandering. They had now crossed over. But there's something else significant about this crossing over is that they had to remember by setting up these stones, loved ones who did not cross over. There were those of them that were in their family unit that had fed them when they were children and clothed them when they were young and had trained them and taught them and and showed them things, loved ones who did not cross over. They didn't make it to the promised land. And it is a very real sign and symbol that those who didn't cross over died in that wilderness beyond Jordan on the other side of Jordan because it is a reminder of the cost, hear me, of disobedience and fear. There is a true human toll and cost for disobedience and fear. God will never give you an instruction beyond your last missed opportunity, beyond the last disobedience that you did not follow. Many of us are asking for a word from God, and God said, I already gave you a word. Go do that word. Go talk to that person. Go share your faith. Go give a little bit of love over here. Go show someone what God has done for you. And we don't do it because of fear or because of disobedience. And this was a marker to them that their parents, their grandparents, an entire generation had received the word of God, go and possess the land. And because of the report of the majority, how many believe the majority is not always right? (laughs) Ten of them said, we can't do it. Two of them said, we can The minority was correct. The majority held them back. And they didn't go in the land. And because of disobedience and fear, fear is another factor. It causes people not to launch out, not to do what God told them to do. They didn't go. And this was a reminder to them. This was a memorial that they had loved ones who didn't get to cross over. This is also a reminder of God's faithful promise. The faithful promise of God is that You are well able to take the land, and wherever, listen to what he says. The instruction is wherever your feet trod will be your land. Not only can you overtake the land, but it's all going to be yours as long as you touch your foot there, that's going to be your land. But they hesitated. Let me ask you do we hesitate? Are we hesitating in some areas right now where God said, you are well able to do that. I have equipped you. I have empowered you. I have given you what you need. And we look back to God and we say, yeah, but I need more, Lord. In order to do what you want me to do, I need more. I need to have the house they have. I need to have the title that she has. I need to have the the kind of education and degree that they have, and then I'll do it. And God never checks you for your pedigree before he calls you. He can add all of those things to you. And what God can do in a moment of favor is better than a lifetime of labor anyway. He can cause doors to open for you that you could never pry open yourself. The simple question is, are we going to go? Because God is faithful to his promise. Has God given you a dream, a desire? The the book of Psalms says it like this, that as we delight ourselves in the Lord, he will give us the desires of our heart. Now, it's real dangerous to partially quote Bible verses. Anybody ever heard that money is the root of all evil? You, you've heard that, right? Money's the root of all evil. That's not true. The Bible says the love of money is the root of all evil. Money's not evil, money is currency. Money is an inan- 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 inanimate object. Get my false teeth in here. Inanimate object. Money can be used for good or for ill. It can be used for blessing or for cursing. Money is not evil, but the love of money. Now, setting money up as an idol, as a God, pursuing it with everything, that is the root of all kinds of evil. So the Bible says that as we delight ourselves in the Lord, what does that mean? That means that regardless of whether you are full or you're a little bit half or empty, whether you have more than enough or you need a little bit, you're delighting yourself in God all the time. You're finding a way to be content in his presence. You're finding a way to always be striving for more, yet to always be walking in contentment because the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. As you delight yourself in the Lord, he will give you the desires of your heart. Now I've heard people say, well, you know, the Bible says the Lord will give you the desires of your heart. That's not what the Bible says. When we think of it in terms of, well, I desire this thing, therefore God must give it to me. That's not what the Bible says. If you're delighting yourself in God, first of all, your desires are going to be in the pathway of God. And I believe that what he does is he begins to knit desires into your heart. He gives you the desires of your heart. As you delight yourself in God, you're going to start now desiring things that maybe you didn't desire before you came to Christ. And he gives those desires because our desire is for his glory and for his kingdom to expand and for his greater good in in the earth and through our lives. And so as we delight ourselves in God, he gives us the desires of our heart. And they they were hesitating, but God's promises are faithful. So if you have a desire for a promise of God, then he is faithful. You are well able to overtake and to have that promise. Let's look at the next one. This was a promise, a special meaning in these stones, of God's abiding presence. You see, the ark of the Lord went before them. It's clear by the instruction, the ark of the Lord was going before them but in the case of the priests, they stayed right there in the water with the ark while the people completely crossed over. Read these two chapters when you, when you have some time. You can see that the priests got into the middle of the waters as it was flowing, and as soon as their feet touched, the, the, the waters stopped, and there was dry ground. But they stayed right there in the middle of the river, and the people crossed over. Now, this was a, a test of faith. We all, we all want the presence of God to go before us. You ever been like ready to go up into to a, a, a dark room or something? Or you, you've been somewhere, maybe it's, it's at nighttime and you're not sure of the path and you're just, you're looking for someone you can have as your leader. You want to push somebody else up to the front. Like, you go first, I'll be right behind you, right? You go first, you stub your toe first. They always were welcoming the presence of God to go before them. And that's exactly the model that always happened be strong and courageous for the Lord your God. He goes before you. He, he gives you strength. He's the one. And so they were fine watching the priest wait out in the water, the water drying up. They're like, hey, that's pretty good. Let's go. And they get behind the priest and they're like, come on, come on. The priest are like, no, no, no. You got to go over there. Yeah, but we heard there's giants in that land. You mean the presence isn't going before us in that land? God already went far enough. He had already gone to where he was going to go. This is a test of faith. It says that the people after having watched the priest dry up the water with the ark of God, the presence of God, they had to, by a step of faith, take the next step into the promised land. And some of us are waiting right here in the place where God said to pass over, and we're waiting for something. And God's saying, you don't need to wait on me. I've already prepared the land. You just need to get to going by faith. You need to walk this thing out. And so they had to go across with the presence of God behind them. Now, they should have had the kind of faith to go, but as far as we know, the Psalms hadn't been written yet, so they didn't know that surely goodness and mercy will follow them all the days of their life. See, we have the full story. We have the whole book. We should live better than they lived. We should have more faith than they have. Why? Because we've read the rest of the book. We know. We win. We know all of this stuff. We have access to these kinds of truths, yet we hesitate, don't we? We wait. God's abiding presence. You don't have to worry whether it's in front of you or behind you. God's presence is there. In fact, because of the resurrection and Pentecost, which is, by the way, today, Pentecost was proof positive and a sign that Jesus had made it back to the Father and that he sent another helper, a comforter, his precious Holy Ghost, and the Spirit of God dwells in us. The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead now dwells in us. So we have God's abiding presence. We have that opportunity to be able to walk out in boldness and in faith. Here, here's the next one. Rest and enjoyment. In Joshua 1, 13 and 15, it says that this is to be a land of rest. Now, I read Joshua 1, and I saw that this is to be a land of rest. And then I read Joshua 4, how they're crossing over. And then as you read all throughout the rest of Joshua, you would have to think, did whoever wrote Joshua 1 miss it? How are they saying that this is a land of rest when all along we're going to be fighting battle after battle after battle? After all, there's still giants in that land. How is this to be a place of rest and enjoyment when it seems like on every side I'm hemmed about and I'm always fighting a battle? Anybody ever feel like you're always fighting a battle? And just when you get almost into the sight lines of finishing one battle, you're about to take a deep breath and say, "Shoo! I'm glad I can rest. Now there's two more battle fronts that are percolating on either side. I must be the only one. I'm preaching to myself today. I'm the only one. No, every single one of us know what it's like to fight battles, spiritual battles, material battles, financial battles, real battles, battles of the mind, battles of the heart, battles in relationships, battles in connections. We fight battles all the time. Yet Joshua 1 says that this land is to be a land and a place of rest. But that did not signal the absence of enemies. Hear me. Learn a lesson here from, from the, the people of God. Just because they were going into a promised land did not signal that there would be no enemies. What it signaled is that even though there are battles, God has promised rest in him. So either you can keep fighting all your battles You can start leveraging your resources. You can spend your hard-earned money. You can hire out all the things that are going to fight your battles. Or you can simply rest in God and say, the Lord, he fights my battles. I belong to the Lord. I am the under-shepherd of this church. I know the great shepherd Jesus Christ. And the Lord, he is my shepherd, therefore I shall not want. And if I can translate that down to my level, then every single person in the house can translate that to their level. The Lord fights the battles for us. So we can be at rest in him even while the battle is raging. Somebody say, that's good news. We're not promised the absence of enemies. In this world, Jesus said, you will have, say it with me, You will have trouble. You will have trials. You will have some things that you don't like in this world. He didn't stop there, though, did he? But be of good cheer, for I, Jesus said, I have overcome the world. And you and I are more than conquerors through Christ Jesus. And the last special meaning of these stones is that there was going to be a posterity for the 12 tribes. There was going to be a future For the people. So here's what God said. When your children ask, what do these stones mean to you? Recount for them the great victories of the battles being won, but recognize that it also signifies a future for the people of God, something yet to be won. See, Joshua was thinking about the next generation. Even anticipating the question of setting up these stones would invoke something to his generation. See, his generation didn't need the memorial. They had the memory. They knew what God had already done. This was for a new generation. This was for somebody else. So I want to ask you this. What marker do you need to set up? What memorial do you need to set up and leave in place to bless someone that is going to ask someday, what does this mean? Why do we do this? There's also some spiritual meanings to these stones. Here are the spiritual meanings. Spiritual meanings are things that we do now like baptism. We still observe baptism because we are buried in baptism, risen to new life. This is a significance to stones, markers, occasions, milestones in our own lives. The Lord's supper, this is my body this is my blood. It was broken for you. As often as you do this, do it in remembrance of me. We just did that this morning. Every single Sunday, we have opportunity. Every time that you come to church, there are our tables set up at the back. There's a cross there. You can write a little note on the cross. You can pin it to the cross. These are prayers. We don't read them. We pray. We pray over the crosses. You can take communion right there. You can go, and before the Lord, you can observe his holy supper. You can light a candle, lighting something that is, is important to you as, as a signified, a symbolic way of saying, I transferred the light of the world, Jesus the Christ, to something in my life that I just want to bear remembrance of. It's just simply a way to remember. Shining the light of Jesus in a dark place. Lord's Supper. We also set up memorials when we give unto the Lord of our tithes and our offerings. This is a a, a, a suitable way of worship. This is a way in which we commemorate to God that all that I have is not mine, but by generously opening my hand, the word of God says, he who sows his bread and casts it on many waters shall always have a return and be able to do it again. This is being a life-giving flow the, the, the time, the, the greatest commodity we exchange, T-I-M-E, time, we exchange our time for money. And so by giving of our time and giving of our money to the kingdom of God, what happens is we're saying, God, you're flowing through me as a conduit. This is a, a, a symbol of worship. It's a sign of saying, I give back to God what already has been given to me. I commemorate, I remember the great sacrifice that someone before I had heard the gospel paid so that someone could be able to take the gospel that I could hear it. And it is also a way of breaking greed off of our lives. By nature, we are greedy. That's how we're wired. And by giving, we become generous. It changes our mindset. It is a memorial to the Lord. These are all things that we set up as unto God. We, we did this a, a few uh, months ago foot washing. You, you, you wash someone's feet, and as a sign of service, rather than being exalted, you humble yourself. Jesus said it like this those who are the greatest among you are the best and the greatest servants. In this kingdom, the thing we call the kingdom of God, if you want to go up, you must first go down. Instead of self adulation, it is self humiliation going lower serving honoring just be sure of this that when you set up a marker when you set up a milestone that you don't worship that milestone you don't worship that marker it's easy to get religious in our mindset and we start to worship at things we've milestone or we've marked we need to keep our worship and our focus on God so for these next couple of days Memorial Day weekend, what it means, what we remember is that someone died defending our freedom so that we might be able to enjoy the blessings as a grateful people for those who would lay down their lives. Jesus said it like this, greater love has no man than one who would lay down his life for his friends. And then he said, I call you friends and he laid down his life. Stones, stones are hard. Stones are dense. But that's exactly what altars are built out of, is stones, hard things. Sometimes in life, we go through a hard place. We would love just to forget all about it. If we had our brothers, we would rather not have gone through it. But let me ask you this. If you were to bypass every hard thing in your life, looking back, how many stones would be missing from your altar? How many incomplete pieces would be missing from the testimony of where God has drawn you? And so someday when someone asks you all those hard things that you've stacked up, all those hard things that you've cobbled together, you've brought them to God, you've made an altar unto the Lord out of things that are tough and things that are not desirable and things that are hard in your life, you have set them up. But if you had bypassed several of them, there would be missing stones and your altar wouldn't stand. But by the grace of God, you're still here. You're still pushing through and you have an altar, a memorial to God. Maybe today you're dealing with some hard things. Maybe there are some things you're going through today that are not of your choosing. They're not of your own fault. Maybe some things, that, wrong choices, and you made some bad decisions, so you're walking that out. But there are also things in our lives that we did nothing to get it into our lives, and it's just there, and it's uncomfortable. It's a family member, it's an illness, it's a sickness, it's a a hardship, a, a burden, something that is a hard thing. Today, I wanna make an invitation to you that these altars are open. If you didn't get to take communion, still it's available, you can do that. If you need to walk down here and symbolically and spiritually lay down something hard and build an altar out of it, maybe it's time to drop some stones at the feet of Jesus today. We'd love to pray with you. With heads bowed, no one looking around. It's between you and God. I want you to get into your mind that hard area, that hard thing, that that difficulty, that distressing thought that every time you think about it, it is just heaviness on your mind and heart. I want you to get that before your eyes. And I want you to imagine laying that at the feet of Jesus. See, I, I think we've lost so much in our imagination towards God. We need to imagine ourselves laying it down before Jesus' feet, building an altar out of every difficulty, trial, tribulation, and test that we're dealing with, turning it over to God. Hear the words of Jesus today. He says, come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, I'll give you rest. It's time to lay down the stones. Father, I thank you for those that are dealing with something that seems insurmountable, but you have given them faith today to believe that you are more than enough. For those that have been given a promise and have hesitated, we memorialize today that you parted the Red Sea, you also parted the Jordan waters, and you can part the waters for us. God, give us the faith to take a step. Even when your presence seems behind us, we're gonna step out of faith and go to do what you have called us to do, I pray that there would be a boldness and a tenacity for those who have hard things to lay them down today at the feet of Jesus and to leave them there in Jesus' name.